Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Zhou. For this episode, we have our guest, Adam Yi, and he has such a unique career. Adam is a food scientist who started his own podcast in 2016, which is now his main career. So if you're wondering, what is a food scientist and what do you do? That's the exact reason Adam started his podcast. Originally, Adam was drawn to the food industry because of his curiosity and love around food. Then he realized that food industry is really the future of food and what we eat. So he created this podcast for people who want to explore options in this industry. His podcast is now his main source of income, platform to get speaking engagement and consulting referrals. So if you are wondering how to turn that side project into your full-time job, this is the perfect episode for you. Also, I can't wait for you to find out why Adam actually quit his role as a founder of a startup to do podcasting instead. Hey, Adam, welcome to the podcast, and we're so excited to have you here. Great, great to be here. I'm ready to change people's minds. <laughs> so you have such an interesting story. Can you first give us a quick intro about yourself, the career you were in, and what you're up to now? Yeah, so I'm Adam, Adam Yi. I'm a food scientist by day and a podcaster by night. So what that means is that um, I guess not many people know what a food scientist does. They pretty much, they make all the food that you eat. Um, so anytime you go into the supermarket and you find any food, whether it be an apple or it be a granola bar or it be a piece of meat, a food scientist has their hand in making that product, whether it be through formulating it or through making sure that it's safe and ready to be shippable. And generally that's what we do. So uh, I currently, by the time this episode has uh, launched, I've left my job to pursue podcasting full time. And, and I have this podcast called My Food Job Rocks. And it started about three years ago as a passion project, um, but then it grew and grew and grew. It's gotten uh, a steady amount of income. It's gotten a good fan base. And it's mainly focused on people in the food industry. So I interview food scientists, people who are starting food businesses, even food writers who are writing really interesting books, such as books about starting food businesses or even about lab-grown meat. And it's been getting um, a lot of support in the industry because of that. It's allowed me to not only somehow, I'm shocked sometimes when people pay me money to uh, sponsor them. And it allows me to do speaking gigs and allows me to... Um, really synergize actually with my food science job, which now I'm freelancing. I love that and how you are now like an epitome of how it's like when you pursue your passions and now you're able to have this job that you love in this area that you are super interested in as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot, you know, in hindsight, it's a lot of work, um, but I think when you have fun doing it and, and you really, and that that's kind of like, I have to convince yourself, I guess to say, uh, as long as you have fun doing it, it doesn't really feel like that much work. It was really a fun journey of getting from just starting with like six episodes to now 190 episodes. Super incredible. Mm -hmm. Let's rewind back a bit into in college. So you studied food science in college, which I had no idea that was a major. So um, what inspired you to do that? And you know, how did that land with your parents? So um, one, I'm very fortunate to have parents who aren't, the t 
I guess, stereotypical Asian parents. The, they actually really do care about, um, they pretty much let me do whatever I want. I think that's kind of the thing. Uh, but, you know, it's still middle class. It's still um, went to public school. So, but during public school, I, I started to watch the Food Network and I started to get really interested about cooking. Um, Good Eats in particular was one of my favorite uh, Food Network shows. And uh, because the host, Alvin Brown, he took a different angle of learning about food. He, he kind of broke it down to a very basic science. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I started to kind of get really involved into cooking. And I would ask my parents for like the grocery money so I can go to the store and buy things, uh, anything really. So I went to like the Asian grocery store and bought, I don't know, rabbit for some reason or, or, or duck or strange um, pastes. And I would just experiment with them and cook them dinner. Uh, and of course, like the first month was pretty bad and then <laughs> it got better and better and better. And by just reading and researching and I got enough confidence where I, I wanted to challenge myself and uh, feed my friends in, in high school. And every day we would, uh, I would make a dish randomly, any dish, whether it be like tagoyaki or, or jambalaya, and I would bring it to the, the lunch table and they would eat it and they would like it. And uh, I do it for every Wednesday. Uh, and <laughs> it was, it was like a really fun experience. And that got me enough confidence um, to be like, oh, maybe I can pursue food. And during high school, I tried to like think about stage stodging at restaurants and going to a community college to do some cooking classes. And it was hard. And you hear the stories of chefs who have to work like 20 hours a day with like minimal pay to get to like this maybe gold standard of, of either being famous or being an executive chef. And um, it made me doubt some things because then I'd have to like, not go to college or and I had decent grades and so I guess deciding on whether going to culinary school and going to college at that time um I, what I usually tell the story about is going on google and searching up like food plus college and I somehow found out about food science I don't think it was the first result but now it is and so or and so when I found out about food science I looked more into it and I was like, they didn't really tell me what it was about. It was like, Oh, it's food and science. That's all. Bye. And so I read more and more about it. I was like, okay, I'll apply for food science at uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and got in. Um, so didn't know what it was until probably two years in. And I think that's the same with most students. And then you, you realize like, Oh, food science is this whole thing where you pretty much feed the whole population using scientific tactics. So, you use machinery or you use machinery to make the food and you have to understand like engineering principles. You have to um, use statistics to taste the food, for instance. So you have to get like 20 people and you have to have 18 people like it, for instance. Um, and that's called like sensory science. And that's a whole field that's really deeply ingrained in, in the food industry. Or you have to learn about microbes that are, uh, that make you sick when you eat them. And how do you prevent that? So like, how do you prevent, improper canning and you learn about what conditions have to be set for microbes not to grow. So it's just this whole like hidden knowledge about what's behind your food that was really fascinating to me. Um, and as I've grown through my career and building my food job rocks, uh, one of the biggest missions is to inform people about that. And it might not just be everyone. It might just be people uh, like me who had to decide um, to Google food 
science or Google food college and they'll find our website, myfoodjobrocks.com on there. And we have an article called, uh, what is food science? A beginner's guide that is really informing a lot of people. And, and people have said a lot of great things about how it's a really in-depth guide to understanding, um, what you're going to get into when you go into food science. Yeah. I had no idea that food science incorporated so much of, you know, biology and math and statistics, which is pretty cool. And you probably didn't know you were getting yourself into that when you first started. So this guy sounds really helpful mm -hmm. for others. And you mentioned that, you know, your mission in life is to make food science mainstream. And oftentimes, you know, our missions and what we stand for, it's easier to connect the thoughts when we're looking back in hindsight. So mm -hmm. how did you, you know, come to realize your mission in life? That is a loaded question, um, but I'm going to try my best to kind of break down and step back. So I think the big thing is like, I don't think you realize your mission unless you're actually doing it. So a great book I recommend is So Good the Kid Ignore You because it tells you like, don't pursue your passions, but you might find passion within the work you're doing already. So it might already be there. It might already be sitting there as you're working or working on something. So for me, like, once I saw kind of like the gap, just doing a podcast and launching it and, and showing and having people like understand it. And I'm, I've been getting emails about like, oh, I found out about food science because of you or I changed jobs because of you. That, that really does build up over time uh, uh, the longer you do it. So eventually that solidifies into a, a standard mission that resonates with people. And I think it's important to understand like everyone does have a mission and everyone finds it at a certain time. And, and missions can change. I think it's very important to understand that, that if a mission doesn't work for you anymore, if there's something that changes your belief, it's okay to change. So for me, like having being food science mainstream, I think one, it grounds you and it gives you kind of a sense of, of purpose, whatever it can, whatever you think a purpose is in a sense. Um, some people go all their life without a purpose and you can kind of tell they just wait for the next concert they wait for the next spending their big trip to wherever which is great and and that if that's a life you want to live that is awesome and you do you i think people who talk about who can't shut up about their purpose um they're, they're looking for something more and it's just it's just another way of life and i find it a bit more fulfilling it, i don't feel very sad anymore because i get feedback on um, how far my purpose is going and i think whether whatever it is it can be personal it can be ambitious um i think it does drive you to not only become a better person but it helps you kind of makes you well i guess to put it bluntly bluntly like it kind of makes you feel like you exist and sometimes what i do is tell people who are struggling with stuff like this is like if you didn't exist who would be impacted and that's something that i think is really important to understand uh, if you haven't impacted anyone, for instance, how can you impact people? And if you have, what would change for them if you didn't exist? Yeah, I think meaningful impact is something that's really important to us. And oftentimes what I hear from clients, too, is that, you know, for them to have a fulfilling career, a meaningful impact needs to be there. And I love that you brought up Cal Newport's book, which was actually one of my favorite books, too. And that was really when I realized that, you know, passion isn't found, it's built. Oftentimes, I think there's this myth that, okay, you just have to go find your passion and someday it's going to land in your lap. But I am in a similar 
wavelength as you in that it's built over time it, through exploring, through experimentation. And sometimes you just have to pick like how mm -hmm. I found my purpose mission was that, you know, I knew I was interested in social impact. And then out of the field of social impact, I picked education and then I slowly built something on top of that. So a lot of times it's picking something that you enjoy and then slowly exploring and carving that space out for yourself. Yeah. And usually the litmus test for that is if you, you know, you can spend two hours after your job, like watching TV and vegging out, that's fine. And if you can, but what if you spent that two hours building something? And that's what I kind of learned with podcasting is that as I built, I kept on enjoying it. And yeah, there are hard parts of course. Um, but overall it's been super enjoyable interviewing, editing and publishing these articles to, um, and to me. So I think, some things will suck and if you if you don't like i would say 40 percent of the process you should kind of re rethink what you're doing but you have extra time to work on something and if you can just work on it bit by bit researching and then applying you might find something that really resonates with you but it does take time and it does take a little bit of practice so to say mm -hmm. so how did you go get go about starting your own podcast as a passion project. Oftentimes I hear people say, you know, they want to start a side project, passion project, but they just can't seem to find the time and podcasting obviously takes time. So I'm curious how you went about it. I've been commuting and I, I found out about podcasts and I thought they were really interesting. And sometimes I gravitated towards like entrepreneurial ones, like Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income is, is a good one. I don't listen to that anymore, but um, that kind of like helped me understand like, oh, well, people interview people and they ask for tips. And so I was like, okay, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I wouldn't mind starting a podcast, but what would my podcast be about? So I like three months of thinking came by and then there was one article from a specific, a specific company called food creds who I'm still friends with. And they're, they're awesome. They're a Canadian company that focuses on um, talking more about the food industry with recent graduates. And so my friend Nicole, she posted an article about like, why isn't food, the food industry as cool as tech? And there's plenty of reasons why, because uh, tech, you have a cushy job getting paid a lot more. And in food, you might be in a factory in the middle of nowhere making not that much. And, but she also mentioned like, no one really talks about the food industry. So that kind of like catalyzed, it's like, okay, I can start a podcast about just talking to people in the food industry. And so I messaged her and we collaborated in the first couple or dozens of episodes to create my food job rocks. And eventually I created my own website uh, with their permission and all that. And that's kind of how it started. So I think, I think there, there are things to break down here is that you can find ideas anywhere and don't be afraid to reach out to the people who kind of helped you with that idea because they probably are in the same place that you are. Uh, I was fortunate that food grads wasn't an established company. It was just like two people. Um, and then they'll, probably be glad to help because I think most people like to help people. I think it gives them meaning in their life. Um, and they were so shocked about how often I posted episodes. They, they were, they wanted it like two episodes a month and I was like busting out every week. So, because I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed not only starting, which I started with just my friends from college and I just scaled up. Once you get like five episodes, you can share them on, LinkedIn, or you can direct message people on LinkedIn, like, hey, I have five episodes of this podcast. Do you want to uh, be interviewed? And luckily, scientists don't get much press because they just don't have that skill set. So they're happy to be on the show. And so you just build it, build it, build it, snowball it, so to say. Eventually, you get 50 episodes and 
you can talk to companies about i have this episode i have this podcast has 50 episodes and can i interview one of your people and they'll most likely say yes and then once you get to 100 episodes um pr firms might be taking a notice of you because your seo is pretty good or whatever and they will say hey interview this person your ceo of this big company and it's like okay yeah sure um and then it just builds and builds and builds so um that's kind of like my climb so to say uh, is just a slow persistent building that's really helpful to hear and for career change too you know oftentimes it's small steps accumulated over time i think in our mind we tend to think that okay career change is a really big leap and you know one day you wake up and you think about changing careers and then you just make that jump when oftentimes it's a lot of exploring and experimentation and building up you mentioned Earlier, you talked about how you were thinking about this podcast for three months. So what finally made you feel ready? And when you started, was there any fears around it? At the very beginning, there wasn't many fears, like, to be honest with you. Like, I think if you cut, cut the problem or cut the ambitious project bit by bit and have, like, achievable goals and not be afraid to drop it, I think you'll be fine. I think that's kind of the, the big thing, like, Everyone always thinks like if you drop something, like you're, you're going to be considered like a failure. Like, oh, people are going to think I'm a failure. But really, no one cares. You'll have a lot more people who care about you succeeding than you failing. So there wasn't really a, a downside of starting, in my opinion. Like, I, yeah, I would waste if I hated it and it didn't go anywhere and it didn't like grow or anything. Like, yeah, I would waste maybe six months doing it. But then on to the next project. It's just like, I think because I do create food products and we are... and. And I go into R&D, that's kind of like the scientific mindset is that, yeah, you work on a project, they might take two years and a million bucks, but sometimes they don't work. And it's bummer, but you just learn from it and just uh, use those, you just salvage that knowledge for the next project. Yeah, there was no initial fears. I think that is just my training as a scientist. And especially if with podcasting, it's such a minimum investment. Okay, I lost a hundred bucks. That's great. Uh, I can make that back tomorrow, so to say. So for, for me, there was no real risk in um, diving into that. I would just lose a couple of hours. I really like this experimental mindset that you have that constantly testing and iterating and viewing failure as feedback, as well as not attributing failure to yourself and letting that impact your self-worth, which I think is something that we as people who with Asian backgrounds tend to closely associate ourselves with failure and that, you know, if something doesn't succeed, then it's completely our fault instead of separating it like you and the product mm-hmm. launches. Mm-hmm. How are you able to come to this perspective? Or for someone who would love to separate failure from their self-worth, what would you recommend? I mean, it's a lot of training of ego. And in in college, I used to have a really big ego. Like I thought I was really cool i don't know but um <laughs> over time uh what, what happened to me is that um i mean people will comment all the time and it's like oh you think you're so cool uh and i did i thought i was really cool and that's nice it's, it's good to sound to feel like you're really cool but at the end no one cares and it's actually more of a, a curse than a blessing so to say to think you're really cool so what happened to me is me working with people one and understanding that they have all the same problems i do and two getting more ambitious every time. So for example, like college, everyone thinks that like college is like this drastic four year period where everything has to be perfect. You have to get the best GPA, you have to get 
you have to get president in five different clubs. There is a handful of students who think that, and you probably know them. <laughs> and so, and that small time frame and that ambitious mindset works. And some people will have that same attitude throughout their whole life if they stick to their bubble. But if they don't stick to their bubble, if they go out, if they um, lead a team, if they fail leading a team, if they fail getting that position, that first shot hurts. Like, even though it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, because also, and after college, like nobody cares. You can, it's college, college might be like two steps to like the gateway to success. And then after your college, it's like a million steps to get to success, so to say. And success is what you make it. So it could take two steps after college to get to success. Um, but so for the point of this exercise, so to say, is that it takes a lot more work, like being quote, noticeably successful after after college and that's really important to understand is like you have a long way to go and you're going to deal with failure if you don't then and the when you do deal with failure it's going to hurt a lot more there's there's a interesting book called what i learned losing a million dollars uh basically this guy coasted through life until he didn't and he lost a lot of money and he reflected on that and i think that's important to really understand is that once you have a failure, you reflect on it. One, does it matter? Two, how much does it impact me? Three, what else can I do? And I think that's the way you have to really approach things like this is that, no, you're, you're alive. Like, even if you fail, you are still alive. You're still functioning. I think that's kind of the idea you have to get is that failure is not the end of the world. And the best thing about this actually is that most people turn their failures into stories. I think that's really powerful because anytime someone's successful nowadays, like before, maybe 10 years ago, no one, no one liked to talk about failure. Now everyone likes to talk about failure. Um, it's good and bad at the same time, but mostly it's good because when you fail and turn it into hindsight and reflect on it, you can actually craft a story about how it led to your um, success. And I think that's really important to do internally that a lot of people fail and a lot of people change their course in their life because they failed and that's okay like there are a lot of people who don't become doctors there are a lot of people who don't become authors or don't become class president and then they move to something else and then they find out that that's their passion so you know they say when one door closes uh, a bunch open and i think i, I truly do believe that Mm, yeah, in one of your articles, you talked about how, you know, giving up can be a flow to greater opportunity. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about how, you know, you started, actually started your own company too. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned failure in that article where you asked yourself, um, am I an entrepreneur yet? Or no. am I a failure <laughs> for not making a six or seven figure business? And yeah. this is actually a thought that I had a lot too before working with my own coach um, since I also have my own coaching business and really curious to hear your thoughts. That's, oh, I'm glad you read that. I mean, that's like a one sentence off of like a hundred articles. So um, thanks for reading that. Um, and so yeah, I, uh, through podcasting actually, I was able to interview a really um, popular animal activist and we pretty much, he had this idea for a company. He asked me to create, help him create a product. I did and people liked it. And I was like, okay, let's start a company. And so I was like, <laughs> and I guess the same like thought process happened about like risk and small, small projects and all that. And I decided to go for it. And uh, so I moved back to California. I was at Phoenix at the time and created a company called The Better Meat Co, which got like good amount of funding and we got a good amount of sales. 
and it's a really fun experience. Uh, just starting a business from scratch, making your own food product that people enjoy. And funny enough, that started that whole like conversation was after doing a hundred episodes of my food shop rocks. I would have never met this guy if I stopped at a hundred episodes because he was episode 102. So that tells you the story of persistence and opportunity, but having that, like having that experience of making a business and that was kind of like my goal at like 30, I'm 27 now. It was my goal to like make a business. I was so obsessed with like a goal of making a business and like, Oh, I'll be successful if I make a business. And so that's kind of a, a background reason why I started my food job rocks was to build the experience in that and build a connection base. And yeah, I made it faster than I thought. And when I was there and I was like making a business, I'm like kind of looking at this giant mountain of stuff that has to be done to be quote successful. Like for starting a business, what's the value? What's the point of success in a business? It's pretty much exiting out, which gets you millions of dollars or whatever. But there, there are a lot of repercussions about exiting because you could exit because you lost a ton of money and you need to sell it really fast. You could exit to investors, especially if you already have a bunch of investors like investing in your business, they're going to take all your money. And then like, you could be like a WeWork, which is hugely successful, but now it's like tumbling down on the ground. So, um, that's, there's a lot of like, what if, so if you don't have a, a stake in the ground of success, you might not, it just might not be fun anymore. And for me, the stake in the ground was honestly creating a product by myself, no other technical person to help. There are other skill sets like operations and hustling that other people can do. That's perfectly fine. But creating a product by myself, having it be sellable was the goal for me. And that, it's a very simple goal because it gives you a step process. And that was my definition of success at that company. And I did it and it was great. And, um, then I decided to leave <laughs> after a year and a half because my goal was done. Seeing this long road ahead didn't interest me. Like I, I really don't care about build, like building a million dollar business or know, stuff like that. For me, it's just like creating products that bring joy to people, whether it be a, a food product or podcast. And that has a significant impact on sort of society in a sense, like for better Miko, like our concept of blending plants with meat and having someone, a big meat manufacturer buy into it, it changes the society, so to say, because now they're making a statement saying, we are doing this to our products and you should do it too. And what that does is it reduces animal, like the amount of animals killed. Uh, it's one step towards plant-based meat or, or reducing uh, meat consumption. And that, that sounds impactful. My Food Job Rocks, the podcast brings people joy and it impacts people because they want to learn more about food science. So that's kind of like the basis of how I structure success in a sense is if I can just do that and be happy about doing that, then I'm good. So that's why I'm kind of freelancing and helping other companies um, build their product portfolio because that's the part I really enjoy. And I think that's really important to understand is that what are the parts that you really enjoy and what can you build out of that throughout your whole life? That's really great. And I love how you just answered one of the questions that I asked all the guests is, you know, how do you define success now versus mm -hmm. back then? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so leaving that company, you know, something that you built with your own hands, it must have been difficult to leave that and start freelancing and um, going back to what it was before, because I think, you know, of all the societal expectations and you're in Silicon Valley, which 
means that startups are something that everybody admires. So how are you able to walk away from this thing that you knew wasn't meant for you and go into something that's, you know, surface level, like less prestigious or cool? So the funny thing is that I, I, once I started the company, like I, I still did podcasting because I thought it was really important. That was a lot of work, like doing the the startup and also launching episodes weekly, really, really tough. However, what happened was that as I started getting invited to things, it wasn't because of the business. It was the podcast. And people started saying, I love your podcast. They never noticed I was a food scientist who started this business. Like no one noticed, only a very few handful of people. And most of those people wanted to sell me something. Once I started to notice that people were talking more about podcasts and me as a podcaster and me having to explain that I'm also a food scientist, uh, it just got me thinking about like, what is really like prestigious in the world? What is really helping people in the world? Yes, there is, there is a bigger impact being a startup just because the amount of money and scale that you're getting is impactful. But it was actually really interesting that more people cared about me being a podcaster than they did me starting a company as a food scientist. And if my goal is to make food science mainstream, then what are the steps to do that? And through a long period of reflection, it was a podcast. It was a podcast that got people to understand what food science was. It was a podcast that people share about. Um, though the product was great and it does great things, no one, no one would have known that a food scientist made it pretty much. And so that's kind of like the biggest shift, I guess to say, about being less prestigious is that uh, prestigious is, is like an external factor. Like people will, will like success is something of what you make of it. And it's more burden cumbersome than it's worth. And so that's kind of just the idea I had about it is that, okay, well the podcast gets me a lot more press um, because I have to travel a lot more the podcast. It's going to be very hard for me to balance it. And I just launched like a special episode, like 190 special announcement uh, about pretty much the first sentence is that when two things go really, really well and you're doing both, eventually you have to drop one of them. And just through hard introspection, you know, a good, a good way to do that is through a pros and cons list. Um, just list all the pros and then list all the cons and see what resonates with you. And through talking with a lot of friends, which is also really important, I chose podcasting because one, I, if I start a business like a year and a half ago, I can do it again. And two, like, for me, at least, I feel a lot more better in that role doing podcasting than as a, as a vehicle for um, making food science mainstream than starting or than making more uh, plant-based meat products. I really like how you went back to your mission and revisited that goal and then made your decision from there. And mm -hmm. I think it's important for the listeners to know that, you know, on one of your articles, you talked about how you almost stopped podcasting because it was so much work balancing the two companies. So mm. it could have easily gone the other way where you are at, still at your startup and you dropped your podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it could have gone the other way. And, you know, like I always tell people like, yeah, I could have gone through the or the startup only and have a pretty decent life. Um, but that's not for me. The podcast hold the, holds a lot of importance to, I would even say now my identity. So that's why I kept on going pretty much is because people love the episodes and uh, they want to see more of it. And I don't know, just something, something within me didn't want to stop because it, it's that important to me. And I think that, I think once you have that feeling um, and once you get like exhausted or burnt out, 
but you still have want to do it. I think that that is a sign that you might be meant to do it. Mm, I love that, and I love to get your advice on how people can start their own passion projects or going on that creative, unconventional career of theirs. I really appreciate your experimental mindset, and you also talk about you know with podcasts, it's、um, you start out with a minimum investment. You can break the rules when you're small. You don't have to get an L LC. You know that、mm-hmm, whole business、yep. plan thing. And an example that you had was if you wanted to make a cupcake food truck, you can spend a hundred k and do it, and realize no one's buying them. Or you can start, you know, baking it in your house, selling it at work, and seeing if people like it, and testing it and iterating. So for someone who wants to adopt that framework and test out, iterate their interest, you have, can you give us a couple more examples how they can go about it for their careers? Yeah, this is a great question because、um, I think it's really important. To understand that you have time to do it, and you have time to start anything, pretty much. You just have to find like kind of the the smallest thing that you can start with. So, what I really like to do when I start new projects, whether it be the business or whether it be a food startup or podcasting, is I think of three questions,、um, and it's pretty much, what's the worst that can happen? What's the best that can happen? And what is the minimum need I need to start? Because the worst that, like for example, podcasting, what the worst can happen? Okay, I lose. Like two hours of sleep every week or every month or every day,、um, depending on how many podcasts you're doing. So that's the worst that can happen, pretty much. Okay, no one listens to it. I feel sad for a week. What's the best that can happen? Well, like people in the industry like it a lot.、Uh, you know, you, you get sponsorships. You get to travel anywhere because people want to hear you talk, which is weird to me. And so that's like the best that can happen. It's it, it is a risk, but that's something that a lot of my mentors have taught me is that、um, when you start something. Uh, really think about what the best can happen because I think that's really important.、Uh, it's hard to kind of imagine tangibly, but you know, go wild in terms of understanding that type of dream.、Uh, and then the minimum amount is like, okay, am I going to sacrifice time or money, or is there a leverage point between both? Because people can spend like a lot of money podcasting、uh, if they pay other people to do it. So podcasting is much easier than video because video, yeah, sure you can use your iPhone, but in general you'd want a good camera. So that's more of an investment than podcasting, which a mic's around a hundred bucks and、um, software and all that, maybe another twenty bucks. Most of the software you can actually get for free. So that that was kind of like my my mindset. And so if you can apply, you can apply this to pretty much anything. For example, if someone wanted to be, you know, someone's a computer engineer but wants to be an actor, what is the downside of you practicing your acting by posting it on YouTube or whatever, or you know, or things like that?、Um, Because we live in an age where the user can share, we're not choked by people who will say yes, we want you on this platform. Now anyone can just post anything on YouTube, anything on iTunes, any written piece, any written piece on your blog. That's kind of like the world we live in right now, where we can experiment and we can see what resonates. Because you can make something like know, a good example, like Jenna Marbles.、Um, she started with like her. Really bad quality camera, and then she just kept on posting videos. I think PewDiePie, same thing. He just kept on posting videos every single day, weekly.、Um, he just want, just kept on doing it, and then all of a sudden they get huge followings because something resonates with them. It is pretty much like <laughs> planting a metal rod through a, a desert every single day, hoping that lightning strikes. One rod, you'll have less of a chance for lightning to strike, but thousands of rods, there's probably going to be a chance that lightning's going to strike one of those rods. So. The important thing is this: is that you have time, whether、uh, and if you have money, great. That's even better. 
to work on a craft of whatever you want, be it singing, be it acting, be it something like that. However, it's very important that you publish your thing in some way. A lot of people use the example of, they call it shipping a product or shipping something. So that all that means is that you put it out for everyone to see. And if he, and most people, and some people are very scared of like people hating it. Most of the time people don't care. I always tell people like, if it's good, people will comment on it. If it's not good, they'll just ignore it. Um, like, yeah, if it's good, people are going to say bad things. That's fine. But more people are going to say good things. And that's another story about, like, don't pay attention to the bad comments. It's very hard to do. Um, but pay attention to the people who really like what you're doing. Um, and so that's kind of like the basis of it is that you have to practice. You have to be consistent. And you have to show people. And the more you show people your progress, the more people will be on your team. Mm, I really love that imagery of a thousand rots you know really <laughs> increasing your chances of um being seen and known but also just that consistency mm -hmm. and a couple other examples that you had was um you know starting a blog and then if you want to do writing like really putting yourself out there yeah. um or you know if you want to like publish a book write an ebook and then turn mm -hmm. it into a physical copy or a designer you know do some graphic design canva and then you can start your own agency so yeah, i really do that so. mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yes i like i really liked how you broke it down into simple steps just start small simple and then slowly build it over time yeah because no one cares when you start everyone only cares what's happening now and now looking back um what would you say is the one thing that helped you the most in navigating your career change to get into kind of the very basis of it that i think will help the most people is reading <laughs> reading books honestly is probably the most important thing you can do and what helps me a lot is reading they say to become an expert or something you just read 10 books you read 10 books and then to, honestly nobody reads 10 books of a single subject so you'll probably become an expert if you read 10 books of this subject so i think consuming as much media whether it be books videos or podcasts about a specific topic that you're interested in um you're ahead of a lot of people because one a lot of people don't read and two, there's a lot of knowledge out there. Most of it is for free. You can read inspirational business books. That's great. Uh, and I, I do a lot. So, but it's also important to read the tangible books. So for example, marketing, like I'm not an expert at marketing. Uh, I don't have a degree in it, but I read a ton of books about marketing because it, it's really interesting to understand how do you get your message across? And honestly, everyone needs to do that when they start and do these little uh, side projects is to understand how do I get this? How do I mess in a way where people are like, oh, okay, I'll listen to this or okay, uh, I'll buy that. And there's so many strategies about that. Just try and go one step further as you research because you never know when that's going to help you. You really brought up a great point about how the minority of people read because when you, when you mentioned reading as your advice, I'm just thinking about the typical answer, which is, Oh, I know I should really read more, but I don't, or like, I don't have the time. And it's really a really underutilized resource. Mm -hmm. One of the questions I, I asked the guests is, you know, what was, what's your favorite career resource book? Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned so good. They can't ignore you. Would you say that's, that's your recommendation or do you have another one? That's my favorite book, but let, let me give you a few that I, I go through in times where I feel kind of down. Uh, I actually have like a list on my website. So like book list, my book list for creative people. I don't know. Awesome. Um, I'll link to that. Okay, great. So uh, th there's a lot of books there, but I'm going to pick out maybe two or three in particular. 
there's a book by Derek Sivers who started a company called CD Baby, and he's he's been in a lot of podcasts uh, with people I follow, and he's an awesome person. Um, and he wrote a book called Anything You Want. It's like around 100 pages. It's a very short book, but it does really. If you're the type of person who really does want to, who has a specific method of doing things, so it's not for everyone. I'm just gonna say that um, a specific method of not planning, so to say, of just going with the flow and and deciding like from there, it's a great book. Another book I recommend is by the guys um, from IDEO called Creative Confidence. Uh, I've, I've been introduced to this book a bit late because it's funny, I think everyone took like advice from that book and put it in their own book, but puts it all together is a book called Creative Confidence, which is a very, um, if people don't know, IDEO is a very good innovation firm, um, but Creative Confidence, it tells you a lot of like tips and tricks to, I guess to say, think out of the box and to be confident about that decision. So um, those are the two books I recommend along with, of course, um, So Good They Can't Ignore You, which if you're having trouble finding your passion, uh, it's a good book to understand that passion might already be there with you. You just have to dig it up. So good. I haven't read Creative Confidence, so I'm really excited to start right. that, even a little bit on the late side as well, but you know. <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's going to be a good refresher. I, I thought it was a good, like, it summarized everything I've read in the past, like, two years, so I might as well <laughs> reference that book. Yeah, that's true. It's never too late to start reading or to, you know, start changing careers. So lastly, what parting advice do you have for those who are listening right now and they're contemplating whether they should go for that less traditional more unconventional career you know i ask this with a lot of my guests on my podcast and god about 30 percent say like just do it which it's okay advice but it's not it without substance it doesn't really hold up um because just doing things is really hard what i would do is really evaluate what you do after work and really understand like where your time can be better spent it could be you know playing games or it could be you know talking with someone for an hour it might it might be something you need to sacrifice i think you do need to sacrifice something to get more value out of something. So it only takes about two hours a day or maybe an hour a day to really think about or to have enough time to kind of chisel out something that you really want to do. And whatever resonates with you, if it resonates and you feel good and you want to learn more about it, um, keep on going. I think everyone has something where they just, if they read something, they will keep on digging through it. Sometimes it's going to be things like just creating or, I don't know, making or cooking and kind of like strip down what's that raw emotion that you feel and that raw thing you're doing and try and, and apply it or try and replicate that feeling. <laughs> kind of like a science experiment in a sense uh, all the time. I hope that's good advice. Um, it, it's a very scientific method of, of understanding what makes you tick and what makes you happy and it takes a, and what makes you happy and it takes a lot of self-reflection to do so. I think once you understand yourself and what you need, it gets a lot easier. Mm, yeah, I think the listeners will really enjoy that since they tend to be pretty self-aware and reflective <laughs> as well. So this conversation was filled with so many much wisdom and insights. Where can we find you for your podcast or other advice that you have? You can find me currently at myfoodjobrocks.com. Uh, you can also 
by me LinkedIn is my main method of where you can see me being really popular, but uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter on my food job rocks as well. So you know, either at my food job rocks, um, my food job rocks or on iTunes. If you want to learn more about the food industry uh, or you can email me and, and I'll, I'll just give my podcast email um, podcast at my food If you have any questions about anything. Awesome. I will include links to that in the show notes and yeah, definitely email Adam. He was so helpful in helping me set up my own podcast and super encouraging. So thank you so much for that and for coming on the podcast today. No, this was very enjoyable. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And interestingly, I almost didn't record this interview that day because I was still sick with a cold, which was a deeper excuse for feeling nervous about interviewing Adam since he's an established podcaster. And I'm really glad that I faced my fears and did it. So I hope that this episode inspires you to do something that feels scary. Take the leap and even if it's just the first small step. Again, thanks so much for being here. Don't forget to leave a review in iTunes as well as subscribe so that you'll know when new episodes come out and see you next week.